Well, amen and amen, amen, amen. Thank you, Nate. Thank you, Brad. Thank you, Scott. And welcome to all of our locations. Webster, we love you guys. Thanks for ministering to the Webster community online. Thanks for loving people all over the states and all over the Rochester area, Rochester campus. It's great to be with you. And to everybody, welcome home. Welcome to the family. And happy new year. Right? It's 2023. We all got to get used to writing 23 instead of 22 and all the documents and everything else. And it's a new year. And what often comes with a new year is reflection. Right? Many of us in this season are looking at our lives. We're saying, hey, what did I love about last year? And what do I want to keep for this coming year? And what, what needs adjusted? What needs changed? And how, how can I make that change? And so a new year brings reflection. It brings evaluation. And I would bet that for many of you, you're evaluating and reflecting on some really significant questions for 2023. Some of you are looking at your life. You're looking at your future. And you're wondering, what career path should I take? What should I study or major in college? What job should I take? Which path should I walk down? Some of you are wondering if you should shift careers and transition or move for a job. Or maybe for some of you this year, it's more about relationships where it's, it's kind of like, uh, who should I date? Or should I marry this person? Or should we start having kids? Or should we have more kids? Or what does my retirement look like? And we're all looking to the future and we're reflecting and we're asking questions. And when we examine our lives, when we look within, maybe the most two important questions you'll ever ask about your life is who is God and who am I? Who is God and who am I? And so for the next four weeks, we're going to kind of go on this journey together where we talk about identity where we talk about where our identity comes from and how we shape it and how we answer that question, who am I? And I'll just lay out the series for you. It's gonna be four weeks and this morning we're gonna lay a biblical foundation for where we truly find our identity, a foundation that no matter where you are in life, wondering that question, you can come back to. And over the next two weeks, we're gonna talk about some cultural uh, pressing issues when it comes to our identity, lies that the enemy has uh, uh, spoken into our lives. And then week four, we're gonna talk about the voices that we listen to when it comes to our identity. And so this morning, we're gonna, we're gonna lay a biblical foundation. And, and that biblical foundation, when it comes to our identity, starts with the question, who is God? Who is God? And you might wonder, like, well, why is this so important to, to understand who is God? Because who is God plays a huge role in who am I? And so I'm not talking about diving into the full gamut of understanding the riches and the depths of God, but this morning, I, I wanna look at an angle of God that really helps us discover our true identity. And we find that angle at the very beginning. The very first book of your Bible is called Genesis, and Genesis means origins, it means beginnings, and the first five words of your Bible are very potent. Look what it says, Genesis 1, verse 1. It says, in the beginning, God created. In these first five words, it really impacts the rest of the words of your Bible. 
These first five words are are very important. In fact, I would suggest that many of you in the new year, you probably said, hey, I'm going to read through the Bible, and you've already grazed past, read these words. And what's true is we can often read the Bible and miss the the fundamental truths, the, 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 the gravity of the words that are right before us. Because these first five words of the Bible can really shape your entire worldview. Your worldview, meaning the perspective or the lens in which you see the world. And here in in Genesis 1, the first five words, in the beginning God created, it teaches us something, an angle about God. The angle is this, God as creator. That everything that we experience in this world, everything that we taste and see and touch, the things that we experience throughout life come from God creating them from the very beginning. That he is the creator of life as we know it. And I love a great book is called From Creation to the Cross. Albert Bayless wrote this. And look what he says about creation. He says, if we're going to learn about God through his activity... Creation is the best place to start. It was and is the critical event for a person's worldview. Knowing how God initiated my my world helps me understand my own relationship with God more clearly. Then and now, the relationship or non-relationship of God to the world controls our total view of life. And what's so fascinating about the, the first five words of the Bible is we lose many people. Many people in our society, they, they, they drop off the bandwagon right there because many people are like, well, hold on a second, I, I'm not sure I believe that God had anything to do with creating the world. I'm not sure I believe the world was created or crafted by an intelligent designer. And so many people, maybe, maybe that's you, where you're not sold on God and his creation. If that's you, that's great. This is a safe place to explore and we're glad that you're here. But what I know about in life, is there are moments where all of humanity is reminded of God as creator, God mighty and strong. And we got to experience one of those just last Monday. You see, I know many of you are Bills fans. And if you're not into football, you've probably heard about this, but last Monday night, the Bills were playing the Cincinnati Bengals. It was a big game, and everybody was excited for it, but the game ended really short. In fact, the game ended five minutes and 15 seconds left in the first quarter because a defensive player for the Bills, his name's DeMar Hamlin, he was hit by a tackle. He was tackling a player. He got up to go back to his huddle, and he fell down and collapsed. And immediately, emergency personnel trainers came, and right there on the field, they are giving this guy CPR to save his life. And in that moment, guess what everybody did? All the Bills players, all the Cincinnati players, guys who live in rebellion to God, guys who don't care about God, the the people in the stands, guess what they all did? They fell on their knees and they went to something bigger than themselves. They were reminded of God as creator. And we've seen it last throughout the week, right? All of the NFL teams put a, a banner up that said, pray for Hamlin. I watched on NFL Live, national television, an analyst pray to God on TV. And last night, 
One of the first games for the division. Last night, the game started at the 50-yard line where the Jacksonville Jaguars and the Tennessee Titans, they all gathered at the 50-yard line. They fell on their knees and they prayed to God because there's moments in our life where death and life hang in the balance and it forces us to go to something bigger and greater than ourselves and we see God as creator. And the Bible teaches us that creation reminds us of this. Look what Psalms 19 says. It says, the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. The apostle Paul says it like this in Romans. It says, for since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen. How do we see these things? We see them from what has been made. Because all of creation cries out to God as creator. And that's why it's important for us as Christians that when we go on our hikes in the mountains and when we see the Adirondacks and when we go to the lake and when we, we, we go on vacations and we see the beauty of creation, when we see the seasons change, the leaves change, the snowfall, the flowers bloom, when we look at our lives and our bodies and our heart beating and our lungs breathing, it has to remind us of, wow, look what God has created. In fact, I believe this. It takes way, way more faith to believe that all of this just happened by chance than it does to actually believe in God as an intelligent designer. But you might ask the question, why is this so important? Why is God as creator so important to the question, who am I? Well, the truth is, is if God is creator, we are his creation. If God truly created the world, in the beginning God created, that has a direct effect on who I am and who I should be. And in order to understand who you are, you have to understand where you come from. You have to understand who created you, who designed you. Shouldn't the creator have a say in his creation? In fact, today we have something special. We have a potter. This is Mira. Can we give it up for Mira? Come on, come on. Now listen, I'll be, you'll find this out later, but I don't know anything about pottery, okay? I'm just going to limb. I don't know anything about making pottery. I've never done it before. I'm glad Mira is here to show us what it, it looks like. But the one thing I do know about pottery is the potter, when he goes to make something, when she goes to make something, she, she doesn't interview the clay and say, Clay, how are you feeling today? A little muggish? Ooh, maybe vasey. Or how about bowly, right? Like, what do, you, what do you want to be, Clay? How, you tell me. No, 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 that's not what happens. What happens when it comes to the potter, the potter shapes and molds the clay into what he or she is designing it for its purpose. Can I tell you the truth? That's the same with you and I. That God, our creator, we are his creation, and he designs each and every one of us with a purpose in mind. He is the potter, we are the clay. And the truth is, is if God is creator and we are his creation, it comes with two implications for our lives. The first one is this, that God is independent and we are dependent. That God doesn't need us, we desperately need God. 
And listen, I get it. No one likes to hear this news. I don't like to hear this news because if you're like me, I don't like to depend on anybody but myself. And it's hard for me to swallow the words that, wait, wait, hold on. I'm dependent on God and he's not dependent on me. But look what the Bible says. It says, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it, for he founded it on the seas and established it on the waters. So we are dependent on God, we are his creation, and we, we get this at some level because we, we understand in the relationships that we have in, in our culture and in our world, we understand independence and dependence. Right, we see these relationships from like a teacher to a classroom. The classroom is dependent on the teacher that is independent. We see it from a coach to a player, but maybe the best place we see it in our lives is from a parent to a child. I think about my, my own life and my own world. We have our youngest son, his name is Baylor, and he is around 11 months old. I can't believe how old and how big he has gotten, and he's at the stage in life where he will crawl anywhere, he's pulling up, getting ready to walk, and if there's anything on the floor, you can guarantee Baylor's gonna taste it. Is that good or not, you know? But here's what I know about the reality of Baylor's life as 11-month-old boy. He desperately needs his mom and his, no, no, he desperately needs his mom. <laughs> See what I did there, right? The truth is, is if Ashley and I were to decide, hey, Baylor, you're on your own, bro. Like, you've, you've outstayed your welcome in our house. You gotta be dependent now. <laughs> he, he ain't gonna make it very far. He doesn't know how to feed himself. He doesn't know how to change his diaper. He is dependent on us. And like my child to me as the parent, that's how we are to God. God doesn't need us. We desperately need God. The second thing is God has created in our creation. The implication of that is that God is in charge and we make choices. I love this about God's design for our life. That God could have easily, when he created humanity, decided, you know what? Um, let's just make a bunch of robots that do what I want them to. Sometimes I wonder if God would have been better off doing that. But God, in his sovereignty, gives us the ability to choose which path we go, even if that path is in sheer rebellion to what God wants for us. And yet, while we do and we make our choices, God is overseeing and orchestrating the big picture of life. And we see this beautifully in the book of Genesis in a guy's story named Joseph. If you don't know Joseph very well, let me, let me just catch you up on his story really quickly. Joseph was born into a family of 12 boys. He was the youngest. He was the favorite. Every family has a favorite. Joseph was it. And his dad treated him better than all of his other brothers. And so his brothers were ticked. They were jealous. And so they decided to sell Joseph into slavery. Sounds like a functional family, doesn't it? And so Joseph, in his life, he's sold into slavery, winds up in Egypt, and he has this kind of like roller coaster ride in, 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 while he's a slave. He, he gains success, and then he loses it, and he finds himself in prison until Pharaoh needs someone to interpret dreams for him. God gives Joseph the ability, and so he interprets Pharaoh, who's in charge of basically the world, and, and Pharaoh, because Joseph interprets his dream, he makes him second in charge of all of Egypt. So Joseph is now a powerful man, and his brothers who sold him into slavery, there's a famine, and they come to Egypt to get food from Egypt. Joseph recognizes his brothers. His brothers don't recognize him until they do. And when they recognize Joseph, they are afraid. 
Because they're like, what is our brother going to do to us? And look what Joseph says to his brothers. It says, but Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. And listen to these words. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. And here is this beautiful interaction that that Joseph recognizes. I'm not God. I don't oversee the planets. I don't oversee all of humanity. I'm not sovereign. But we get to make choices in life that lead us down a path that God is orchestrating. In the beginning, God created. And so he created, we are his creation, and in order to understand who am I and who are you, we have to look at how God created us. Look what it says in Genesis 1. It says, then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And then later in Genesis 2, it says, Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. And here in Genesis 1, it it literally shows us how God created humanity. And what we will notice is there's really two unique things in how God designed us, formed us, made us. The first unique part about our design is that we are created differently than all other creations. If you study the creation account, you'll notice a couple differences. The, The first one is when God made all the other things, he said, ooh, that is good. But when he made humanity, he said, wow, that is very good. Another difference is when God created all creations, he placed humanity over it to rule over the other creatures, to name the creatures and take care of them. But maybe the most important detail that I think is often missed is if you study the creation account in Genesis 1, you will notice that when God wanted something made, he spoke it into existence. He said, let there be light, and guess what? There was light. He said, let there be seas and land and birds and and fish. He spoke it into existence. But when God created humanity, he didn't speak it into existence. The Bible says he formed us. He breathed breath of life into us. So we were formed. God had special attention when he came to humanity. And if you ever wonder what that might look like, Psalms 139 gives us a beautiful picture. Listen to these words. It says, for you, God, created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. That's a verse worth memorizing for us because here's what I know about my life and your life. There are times where we don't feel valuable when our insecurities lie to us and you need to remind yourself from your creator that you, each and every one of you, are fearfully and wonderfully made. That the God of the universe knit you together, had a purpose, a design for uniquely you. 
So we are created uniquely above all other creations, but more importantly is the second uniqueness about us. It's that we are created in the image of God. And, and I get it, right? In, in Christianity, we, we know this fact, right? We know the fact of creation that we are made in God's image, but do we really understand the gravity of what God gave us in his image? I mean, cool, I'm made in God's image. What does that even mean? How does that benefit me? What's the significance of the image of God? And today I wanna to talk about four significances of God's image and how he made us. The first significance is that we are created for eternity. Yes, when we're brought into this world, we are physical beings, but we're also spiritual beings. That when God designed us, he didn't have this temporary world in mind for us. No, he had all of eternity with him in mind for us. The Bible makes it very clear that this world, this temporary world, is not our home because we weren't designed for it. We weren't made for it. We were made for a home with Jesus. And so, yes, we're physical, but we're also spiritual beings because we were made for all of eternity. That's because of the image of God. The second significance is that we reflect who God is. Right? One thing we gotta make sure we, we understand is God, when he created hum humanity, wasn't picking and choosing who would get his image. He wasn't like, oh yeah, she's gonna get it. Definitely him, dear Lord, not that guy. You know, that's not what God did. He, when he made us, he made every single individual in his image. And so what that means is all of humanity reflects God. You either reflect him in a good way or you reflect him in a poor way. In fact, if you study the original language of image, it actually means reflection or statue. And we get this, right? Because in the ancient world and even in the modern world, when we want to remember something, remember somebody, uh, we build a statue and we put it in an important place. And when we look at it, it reminds us of events in history or a person's leadership or whatever it is. And it, it reflects something. And the truth is, as you were made in God's image and you were designed to reflect God, the question is, how are you reflecting him? Are you reflecting him in a good way or a bad way? The fourth significance of God's image is we are created with a conscience. You ever wonder where we understand the difference between right and wrong? Right, that comes from the image of God. That when we are born into society, when we are, are, are born into this world, that we have this moral compass in our heads that, that we know, like, man, this is wrong and this is right. Now, we don't always agree, but God gave us a moral compass through his image. The next one is we have a longing for God. I, I believe this with my whole heart that every person who is born into society has this longing in their heart. And this longing is for the image of God to live in harmony with God, our creator. That's why people all throughout society, years and generations have asked, there's gotta be more to this world than what I see. It's why when moments like DeMar Hamlin, life and death moments, we cry out to something bigger and greater because we all have a longing for something, a longing for the image of God to be connected back to God. In the beginning, God created. He is our creator and we are his creations. 
And all of us in our life, at some point, we ask the question, who am I? What's my purpose in life? And here's the truth. In order to understand who you are, you have to understand who created you. In order to understand why you're here and what your purpose is and how you were designed, you have to understand who created you, where you come from. That's why the Bible in Isaiah chapter 64, it reminds us of our place. It says these words, it says, yet you, Lord, are our father. And then it says, we are the clay and you are the potter. We are the work of God's hands. And so what happens here in the Bible is is it teaches us our place in life. That God is is the potter. He, He is the one molding and shaping us into who we should be. That God is the creator and we are the creation. So that leaves each and every one of us with a question. Do you trust God as your creator? Let me think about that for a second. Do you trust God with your life to mold you? To shape you into whatever? He wants to become who he wants rather than what you want in every area and every place of your life. Is he your potter? And maybe for some of you, honestly, if you're being real, your answer is like, I I don't know. Maybe you just say, no, I'm not at that place in my life, Drew, where I want God to shape me, mold me. I'm not sure I'm willing to give that right to him yet. And if that's you, that's okay. We are just honored that you're here. And my challenge to you, if you aren't ready to give God those rights, would you just hang around for the next three weeks in this series and listen to what God says about your life and allow him to do what only God can do in your life. But I I would bet that many of us here today the reason why we showed up to worship and to grow in God's word is because we, we want God to be our potter. We want God to shape us and mold us into whoever he wants us to be. And, and my question for you is, will you allow God to mold and shape you? Will you allow God to press in the areas that you've been holding back from him? Would you allow God to to, to shape and and move you into whatever he deems necessary? (laughs) You see, I know the struggle of this because I know you because I, I know me. And so many times in my life, what I, here's what I do, God, yeah, this is a great season, mold me, shape me, God, I'm ready. But then there are seasons in my life where I'm like, okay, God, I'm tired of you being the potter. It's my turn. I, I want to shape my life. I want to say in who I am and where I'm going and what I'll be doing. And so we sit in God's seat and we become the potter. And I told you, I don't really know how to do this, but let's see what happens. 
So we say, you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do things my way, God. And you know what? For a little bit, it's, it starts good. Oh. Oh. And you know what? For a season, it, it goes okay, but then eventually we're like, oh, no. What has happened to my life? And then it, it's messed up, and so we're like, oh, you know what? I'll fix it. Don't worry. I got it. Don't worry, God. I don't need you. And then all of a sudden, we're like, oh, my. I'm two people now, apparently. (laughs) And we try to be the potter, something we were never designed to be. And and we find our life in shambles, broken. We tried to fix it, but nothing seemed to work. And here we are, broken. Broken in need of repair. Do you realize that's exactly what happened in Genesis? God created Adam and Eve perfectly. They lived in a world where there was no sin, no brokenness. They dwelled with God perfectly. But then they wanted to be the potter. They wanted a say in where they went with their life. And so they said, you know what, God? We're going to do what we want to do. And they went down a different path than God as potter, as creator. And it ruined everything. It changed everything. The good news is today, in our brokenness, God loved you and me enough to step into our dysfunction and our brokenness and our sin and give his one and only son to repair what we broke. You know, you wonder who you are. How can you truly understand who you are apart from the cross of Jesus Christ, from the work that he did to buy you back, to fix a problem you created? And so today, as we think about that question, who am I? I think the first place we got to look is the cross of Jesus. That we are reminded that in our sin, when we tried to be the potter, we broke it, but God came from heaven to fix it, to conquer our sin by going to a cross and shedding his blood and breaking his body so that you and I could know exactly who we are. So today as a church, we're going to remember the cross. We do that through communion, right? It's a moment where we, the Bible says we do this in remembrance of the blood that was shed and the body that was broken. And so our bands are going to come and they're going to sing a song and you can grab your communion elements. We're going to take in these words of this song and we're going to take communion together with our worship leaders. But as our band sing, here's my challenge to you. Rather than engage in worship with this song, I didn't challenge you to let these words of this song pour over your heart and your soul. To be reminded of what Jesus did for you. And out of the cross of Jesus, remind yourself of who you are.